Andre throws caution to the wind with Open Line Friday. Buckle up and get ready. Launching in three, two, one. Welcome to Weather Jazz, a world audience podcast about anything and everything weather, science, earth science, and a whole lot more, too. I am your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz Podcast, Andre Bernier, and I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. This is episode number 303 for Friday, March 4, 2022, the first Friday in the month of March. And boy, oh boy, do we have some really quirky changes. This is the month by the way, in the Ohio Valley at any rate, where weather changes are very, very common. The wildest weather swings from high temperatures in the 20s to highs in the 60s to near 70 occur in the month of March most frequently. This according to our morning meteorologist, Scott Sable, who does a ton of research. He is our research king at WJW Television. He also indicated that the month that has the second most wildest swings temperature-wise is the month of April, and we're facing one of those wild swings. Uh, For instance, for those of you that are listening from the Ohio Valley and the vicinity, we had highs just barely busting into the 20s on Thursday. Yet, coming up on Saturday... Highs will make it up into the mid-60s with plenty of sunshine. Imagine that, a 40-degree swing in just two days, and we could even tickle 70 in a couple of backyards this weekend before we see, yep, another downturn in the temperature department and potentially even with some snow and snow showers in the picture too. We haven't gotten rid of this cold pattern. It will be returning. There's still plenty of cold air in Canada And at this time of year, you've got to remember, March, at least in Cleveland, has an average of 10 inches of snow that does fall in the month. We'll see where we end up at the end of the month. Well, I have a special open line Friday edition today. I've been trying to arrange for our guest to be on Weather Jazz now for some time, and we finally were able to get our schedules in line with each other. We've known each other for a number of decades, and we'll find out that story coming up within the context of the interview, which I will separate into two parts. You're going to hear part one of that conversation today, and we'll pick up with that conversation on Monday for part two. It's going to be worthy of your time. Buckle up, get ready. We're going to get to know somebody that, again, has been in my life for quite some time. His name is Paul Bjorek. And for a number of decades, those of you that live in the New York City, Southern Connecticut, Long Island area, 
know Paul very well from his days at News 12, a cable television station and an award-winning one at that. Paul walked away with an Emmy one year for Best Weathercast in the New York City market. A real feather in his cap, and we'll find out more about that, too, within the course of the conversation between today and Monday. Well, Paul had a career shift from television meteorologist to another career, which is equally satisfying. But I will spare you the details here. I'm going to let Paul tell you the story as we begin with our conversation with Paul Peoric today on Weather Jazz. Paul Peoric, welcome to Weather Jazz. Well, Andre, thank you. And before we begin, I'd like to say it is an honor to see you again after all these years. Uh, I've admired your work for all these years. And the other thing I, I love is the theme music for your Weather Jazz podcast. I can listen to that over and over. And over. <laughs> I can send you, I'll send you the, the basis song so that uh, you can enjoy it uh, uninterrupted if you'd like. That oh, would be wonderful. a pleasure. Yes. Well, well, thank you so much. And, you know, a lot of people may not realize that you and I are, are not only acquaintances, but very good friends and just wonderful brothers in the faith, too, which is also very encouraging for me. But the, the reason I wanted to have you on is because you had a transition in your life. And I've always wondered about people who stepped away from a very long career in television weather. And it seems like you were just as satisfied today as you were when you were doing television weather. First of all, uh, take us back, if you would, and explain to the Weather Jazz uh, listener where you ended up in TV weather and how you got there and how you got interested in TV weather. Well, Andre, you and I, I'm sure at a very young age, you know, we have an affinity for all things weather. You know, mm-hmm. it's high to a grasshopper, watching the clouds, tracking the storms, writing daily highs and lows. We would do this when we were kids. And, you know, you have a passion for weather. At a very young age, just out of high school, um, I was contacted uh, by the, the staff at the State University in Danbury, uh, which was led by Dr. Mel Goldstein. You may, may or not have heard of him, but mm-hmm. you know, he considered the father of TV and radio meteorology here in the state of Connecticut. And he said to me, he asked me, he said, would you be interested in working here at the Weather Center? I've heard a lot of things about you and your passion and affinity for weather. And naturally, I jumped on that and began working at the State University in Danbury and doing radio weather forecasts for a number of radio stations, not only in the Northeast, but in the eastern half of the nation. And just thoroughly love that. I'm sure like you did as a young age, I recall hearing you on a radio station in Waterbury uh, right after you had a graduate mm-hmm. college up at Linden State. And that's where we really get that love of weather. And not very long after that, uh, the, the news director at News 12, which is based in Norwalk, Connecticut, had heard me on the radio, called me and asked me if I'd like to be the evening meteorologist at News 12 because he thought the delivery was very good. Well, I was shocked. I'd never been on TV and never aspired to be on TV and never wanted to be on TV. Uh, but a week later, I walked in for an audition. And within five minutes, he said, you're hired. And wow. uh, yeah, mm. 26 years, uh, initially mm. 
the evening weather, and then in 95, going over to the morning weather, which I loved thoroughly, and worked there until the mid-2000s. And I'd still be there uh, if the operation was, wasn't bought out by a European company. And what they did is they moved their offices and the studios from Norwalk into Edison, New Jersey. And that gave us the option of either commuting, uh, which I didn't want to do at one in the morning or two in the morning, um, or relocating. And as being a lifelong resident here in Fairfield, uh, I didn't want to leave. So I thought, you know, that's it. And many of us decided that we would no longer work for the company because they were moving their offices and studios to New Jersey. And the very next day, I received a phone call from the principal of the local school who uh, mentioned to me that she had seen uh, my farewell and goodbye on the air and had watched for many years my Weather Kids segment on News 12, where I visited a local school every week and do weather experiments. And she was very impressed and thought, would you like to teach? And uh, my initial reaction was no. Uh, I thought I'd just take a little while on. Uh, but within one week, um, I was teaching science and mathematics, and everything seems to work out for a reason. And as you alluded to a moment ago, you know, we do have that deep faith. And if we have that anchor in our lives, you know, everything works out. This worked out absolutely beautifully. We're going to take a short break right here. When we come back, we'll continue with Paul's story and the transition that took him into that new career. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Weather Jazz and Open Line Friday. Our guest, Paul Purick, had a very interesting educational twist that allowed him to make a transition seamlessly from television meteorologist to school teacher. Let's join the conversation that I had with Paul Piorek earlier this week. There seemed to be a seamless transition for you. Uh, everything was as it should have been. Now, did you have to have additional uh, educational training before becoming a, a teacher or did you have enough? Super question. Uh, back in the early 1980s, when I was attending the state university, um, I received my degree in education. And ah. then in the mid-80s, received my degree for meteorology from the State University in Danbury with Dr. Mel. So, you know, I had dual certificates, one for education and one for meteorology. So, you know, I had both avenues with which to explore. And now, you know, basically, I'm able to enjoy the success in both careers. Wow. You know what? You could not have planned that for, for anything, uh, to be able to, to, to do both things. So true. And, you know, as you mentioned a moment ago, um, it did work out beautifully for a variety of reasons. The position was for science, and ironically, it was for earth science, which is mm. obviously right up our alley and right up my alley. And what I like to do, Andre, is teaching at the upper elementary and lower middle school level is we don't use a book. I, I told the kids day one, Take your science book and throw them out the window. Not literally, but figuratively, throw them out the window. We are basically going to be doing hands-on science every single day. And from the first day of the school through the last day of school, we do not use a book. It's all experiments. It's all activities. It's a science fair. It's the scientific method. It's atmospheric science. It's learning the layers within the Earth, the layers of the atmosphere, and then eventually moving into astronomy. And there's so much to do that even without the book, I just can't get everything in in one year. Wow. 
Yeah. So how do you then design, uh, for instance, uh, a, an, an exam or are the experiments the exams? That's you have super questions and you could tell you've been doing this for 303 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's dual. Obviously, the experiments, and the activities certainly make up a good portion of the grade. But I also do give the written test based mm-hmm learn in class based on the experiments, based on what we've done outdoors. And uh, they, they still have to know, quote unquote, their stuff at the end of the unit. So they do get the written test as well. Uh, but the written test has to do exclusively w- w- with what we've learned in class and what we've done outside uh, with the various experiments as well. I would imagine that if you're any kind of a student paying attention, that Virtually all of them do well on those tests because it is hands-on. And Andre, you're right, they do. And what I get every year is from many of these students and their parents is we are so grateful to have somebody who has such a deep passion for earth science and who has that background, you know, of being on, on the air doing weather for all those years. You know, it lends credibility to what I design for them. And, and you know, I think they're very... uh they're, they're starstruck when they get me for science because they know I've been on the year for all those years. But when we do the activities, it's just to them, that's also uh, just stunning because I'll give you an example. Uh, we kick things off with the earth science and what I have them do is research volcanoes along the ring of fire. They'll choose a volcano, they'll work in a group, and they have to build a volcano that looks like and mirrors an actual volcano along mm-hmm. the ring of fire. And then at the end of that unit, we have eruption day where we bring all the volcanoes outside and one by one, they erupt their volcanoes. And it's just absolutely amazing. You see the parents there with their cameras, and their video recorders. And, you know, it's one of the highlights of the year. Well, we move into atmospheric sciences and weather. Uh, mm-hmm. We build thermometers. We build thermometers. Um, we also uh, use wind, uh, wind vanes and we also uh, have hot air balloons and we launch them on the school's roof. And it is incredible where we have the students research the wind direction, the wind speed, the dew point, the, the current sky conditions. And then they have to use that data to predict where those hot air balloons will go. And the excitement when we're climbing up to the roof is just, you, you, you can't, you can't imagine how excited they are with those hot air balloons. And then when we light them and one at a time, we launch our hot air balloons from the roof of the school. Uh, it's just the wonder and awe makes this job so gratifying. Mm. And then we use a compass to find out where true north is, you know, which direction it's going. We also put inside uh, our phone number, where we're located, and we inevitably get phone calls from people saying your hot air balloon landed here. And that will either verify uh, what we predicted where it would go, or it would say, you know, our hypothesis was wrong. But more often than not, it was correct. And, you know, Andre, you have to see the the looks on the, the faces of these kids when they see that the launching of the hot air balloons and the height that they go. And they'll say, we've never done anything like this before. And they have it. And that's what makes it so exciting. What is the, the largest distance that a balloon has traveled and you received communication from somebody saying, hey, your balloon landed in my backyard or on my farm or wherever? I love it. Uh, this was about three years ago. We had a, we had a south wind. We are in Fairfield, which is right on Long Island Sound. Mm-hmm. Our school is about mm, 
maybe about a half a mile from, from Long Island Sound, which is just to the south of us. And we had a north wind. So all the kids predicted that the, that the uh, hot air balloon would travel south. And right, rightly so, it did. Uh, the balloon, two of the balloons made it, made it across Long Island Sound onto Long Island. And one of them landed on Hempstead, in Hempstead, Long Island, and the other in Jericho, Long Island. And I'll never forget when the phone rang, the secretary said, Paul, we received two phone calls from Long Island. Your hot air balloons landed safely in Long Island. And just the applause and, you know, the whistling and the stammering was just unbelievable. <laughs> that's, that's outstanding. Yeah. Uh, interesting. We've done helium balloons. Uh, my my uh, son and I have done helium balloons. And my brother and I, when we were young, we were, you know, attaching notes, hoping that somebody would get them somewhere. We we never, never heard from any of them. Uh, uh, and not to say that uh, uh, we did this a lot or uh, anticipated. We, we thought maybe one of those balloons somewhere along the line. But uh, I can just imagine the excitement of those balloons being found, especially as a kid going, I can't believe something I launched ended up, you know, miles and miles away. True. Well, from our point where we are located to Long Island is probably a little less than eight or nine miles, mm-hmm. uh, the, the north shore of Long Island. But what really was, was stunning was the fact that these hot air balloons just ascended to heights mm-hmm. that never would have expected. I mean, Wow. It, I don't know necessarily how high they got, but mm-hmm. at a point where it was basically just a pinpoint, you know, in the sky, and they were just awestruck by the whole thing. And it was wow. Just, yeah. Well, uh, take me also now. I am curious. Uh, my initial curiosity was now that you're no longer uh, on television, and I know that you miss it because we, we were chatting a little bit beforehand, but certainly you're. Your satisfaction for essentially teaching science is very, very much there. I mean, there's a great deal of satisfaction in what you do. What you do is there any element uh, that you miss from your many decades and those wonderful. Uh, Emmy's behind you, and, is, and show those uh, to the show one to the camera because I'd like to uh, show this uh, as a video blog segment on the website. So look at that, very nice. Well, Andre, this congratulations, is, by the way. Uh, this is from 15 years ago, uh, mm-hmm. April 7, and it is the New York Emmy Award for TV weather, and uh, it was at the Marriott Marquis in New York, and. Uh, this is the number one market in the nation, New York City. And when I was there, I was shocked, obviously, because me being from Fairfield, Connecticut, we're a bedroom community of New York, no doubt. But I mean, these are the, these are the big hitters, cleanup hitters, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, from ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, and also the independent stations in New York. And, you know, I would see all these meteorologists who, you know, I watch for years and they were there as well. And when uh, the award was announced and my name was called the Emmy Award for New York, um, I was just not only humbled, but uh, shocked beyond belief. And um, I have five Emmy nominations uh, for New York and, and one Emmy Award, which, you know, is my, aside from my kids, obviously, <laughs> this is obviously the highlight of my career. And 
I also received four AP awards for the best TV weathercast uh, in the state of Connecticut. And, uh, you know, I have those uh, in the living room. But, you know, that, that was one of the highlights of my career. And uh, I, I do miss it. And getting back to your question about what do I miss? Well, <laughs> this is interesting because I'd have to say I miss the adult contact. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with weather, has nothing to do with education, but I just miss being with adults all long because now I'm generally with, um, you know, preteens and young teens. And when you're teaching them for seven and seven and a half hours a day with very little adult contact, you can certainly miss, you know, a, a, uh, a conversation at the lunch table or what have you. But I guess my, uh, my answer is a strange one and that I do miss, you know, being around the adults more than anything. We're going to pause our conversation with Paul Peoric right here, but when we pick up the action on Meteorological Monday, and I think you're going to find the advantage of not being on television, doing something you enjoy, rather interesting. And it's an advantage, perhaps, that a lot of people that are steeped in television meteorology don't think of immediately, again, primarily because you're enjoying what you're doing. I enjoy what I do at Fox 8 in Cleveland. However, I have always wondered about this advantage because I have seen many of my mentors retire and talk about this advantage. So, and perhaps as I approach this period in my professional journey, it's my guess that I too will suddenly realize that there's an advantage And we'll talk more about that with Paul Purick coming up on Monday. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please spread the word, especially those of you in the New York City market that know Paul Purick and wondered what Paul was doing these days. This will answer the question, and you'll quickly find out as we wrap up this conversation on Monday that he is really enjoying his journey. Well, a special thanks to those of you that continue to support Weather Jazz. Thank you for stepping alongside me and allowing this program to be what it is. You continually supply what I need to really bring it up to where it needs to be from a standpoint of production quality. So my special thanks, my hats off to those of you like Andrea Rich in Tennessee, Bill Martin in Florida, Kean Galunas in Vermont, Victoria Singer in Vermont, and in the great state of Ohio, Dale Osborne, Will and Tonya Krause and family, Christine Barnes, and Rose Moore. Thank you so much. And if you'd like to be a part of that group, that special group that supports Weather Jazz, allowing this program to be top-notch in terms of quality, well, you can join that crowd by simply clicking on the Supporters tab at the very, very top of weatherjazz.com. It'll tell you how, and you'll also see that list and hopefully growing list from those of you that have already partnered with Weather Jazz. And that's the group that I get to brag about every Friday, Open Line Friday. It is one of the reasons why I love Open Line Friday. Do you have a question or a topic suggestion? I welcome your input. You can reach me, weatherjazz at yahoo.com. 
Also, now via voicemail of the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect Line 234-525-5888. And a reminder, yes, I do either read or listen to every single message that comes into those platforms. But the volume is growing to the point where I cannot answer each one individually. I try my best to do that. But sometimes it is just an overwhelming task, which is a wonderful problem to have. So please, please keep the emails coming and keep the voicemails coming as well. Whether you have a topic suggestion, a question that you would love for me to answer, or simply you just want to pop in and say hello. In fact, one of the things I often wonder is how it is you listen to Weather Jazz. You can call that Weather Jazz podcast audience connect line and let me know how it is you listen to Weather Jazz, whether it's on your morning run, maybe you're on the treadmill, maybe you're working out at the gym, perhaps it is on your way to work in the car. Do let me know when you have a chance. And if you're listening to Weather Jazz via one of the many podcast apps that are available, Remember to subscribe so that you can automatically download every episode as I make them available. And it's also very helpful if you leave a review on that platform so that other people can see that you are listening to Weather Jazz and what it is you like about it. Well, if you're in the Cleveland, Ohio area or plan to visit or simply traveling through, you can catch my 5 p.m. and 6 p.m. weekday weather segments on WJW Television Fox 8 or online by clicking on the Watch tab at weatherjazz.com. Well, enjoy the warm-up in the Ohio Valley for those of you that live in that neck of the woods. With highs in the 60s, a little precursor of what's coming around the corner on a more frequent basis in April and May and beyond. So enjoy it because, you know, we still have a little cold air in the tank that we'll be talking about perhaps on Meteorological Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Part two with Paul Peoria coming your way. We'll see you on Monday right here on Weather Jazz. Weather and science across the globe. The Weather Jazz Podcast.